Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, July 15, 2012. The message for this morning is Celebrating the Right Victory by Pastor Ryan Cochran, based on Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. Our God, we give you thanks that you have given us the privilege to join with you in what you are doing in your world. God, I pray that today, as we hear from your word, that you would equip us, strengthen us, encourage us to be about that work. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. May the Lord be with you. And also with you. In Luke 10... Jesus sends his disciples on a mission. We've been hearing about that mission over the last month. A mission to go into the surrounding towns and villages. To enter into people's homes and lives with a message of peace. And a message that the kingdom of God is near. And Jesus tells them that as they go with this message, that they are not only supposed to speak this message with words, but they're also to act it out. They are to show in some way that the kingdom of God is near. And so, for example, Jesus tells them that as they go into these towns and villages, they are to heal the sick. Peace, the kingdom of God is near. And heal the sick as a way to display, to show that God's kingdom of goodness and health and righteousness and justice is near and that all people have an invitation to enter into it. And Jesus' disciples go, 72 of them go two by two into these villages. And Luke does not give us a, a detailed report of all the things that have happened while they went. Instead, he skips to the end. Uh, he skips to when they return, and they all come back rejoicing uh, at what happened. When they come back, they come back and report to Jesus that their mission was a success. Jesus, we went and we did all the things that you told us to do. Jesus, not only did people hear and receive the message of peace, not only did people welcome us into their homes as you said that they would, not only did we heal the sick, but what we even found was that even the demons submitted to us in your name. Jesus, we didn't only heal people physically, but we saw people healed spiritually as well. Jesus, the mission you sent us on, it was a success. We can't believe all the good things that we saw. It was a success. And after hearing this, Jesus is filled with joy. Uh, every good leader knows that those that you, when those who you are leading are successful, it, it makes you even more excited than when you yourself are successful. But Jesus, Jesus does something strange here in the way that he responds to his disciples. If you were to read a book about leadership today, uh, they would tell you that what Jesus does is exactly what you should not do. Jesus says to them, you did a good job, but don't rejoice about your success. Don't rejoice about the success that you experienced on your mission. Instead, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What is Jesus up to here? 
The disciples have just gone out and have done exactly what Jesus wanted them to do, and they were successful. Remember who these 72 disciples are. They're uh, not learned people. They are not the Harvard graduates of first century Palestine. Uh, They are lowly people, poor people, people who would not have been seen as a success in any way in their lives. And now, maybe even for the very first time in many of their lives, they have experienced a significant success. They've been sent on a task, and they've been successful in very clear ways. Jesus says to them, good job, but don't rejoice in that. I wonder if that would have been a bit demotivating for some of them. I wonder if they're a little bit frustrated by Jesus at this point. Jesus, you sent us out as lambs among wolves. You sent us on what could have been a dangerous mission, a mission that was difficult, and a mission that we obeyed and we went. Now it seems that Jesus changes the game a little bit. Don't rejoice that the demons submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do not rejoice because of the success of your work, but rejoice in the salvation of God in your life. Jesus shifts their focus away from the success of their mission and to the work of God in their lives. As you consider your own life, what God is calling you to do, how God is calling you to be about his work in whatever way that it is, this is a vital lesson for us to remember what our focus should be on. God's priority in your life is not the success of the mission. God's priority is your relationship with him, both now and forever. God's priority in your work for him is not the success of that mission. His priority is your relationship with him, now and forever. And because that is God's priority, it must be our priority as well. So how do we define success as we participate in God's mission? We've been looking at Luke 10 and this mission of the 72 that reminds us of the calling of the church to be missionaries. And last week we spoke about the importance of fighting the right battle as we go about and participate in God's mission. In our lives, in the work that we do for God, we must remember that our battle is not against people, Our battle is against Satan and the sin that is in our lives that will destroy us. And we must remember that this is the battle that we fight. And so the weapons that we use must be prayer and faith and righteousness and self-sacrifice and the word of God. As we seek to be faithful to God, we need to remember that the real battle is won or lost in the spiritual world, not in the physical A few years ago, I was watching uh, Larry King Live on CNN. Is he still on? I don't know. I haven't seen him in a long time. But uh, Larry King Live, and he had a Christian leader and another person, I don't remember who it was, uh, in uh, in his studio interviewing both of them. And they were having a debate about some cultural issue. Again, I don't remember what the issue was. But as I was watching this interview, I remember thinking to myself that the Christian leader was winning the debate. He was making the stronger points, he was more articulate, he was making the better argument. But the whole time he was doing it, he was doing it with a scowl on his face. 
He was on the attack. He was even insulting. He lacked love. So for me, as I was watching that, even though I'm convinced that the Christian leader won the argument, I felt as if he lost the real battle. The battle in his own heart, as well as the battle to express truly what Christian faith is all about. Maybe you can think of examples of where you have seen this in our world, where Christians are trying to win a battle, but as they do it, they're losing the real battle that counts. It's easy for us to, f- to fight the wrong battles, to forget that the real battle that we fight is spiritual. This week we're talking about celebrating the right victory. Not only must we fight the right battle, but we must also celebrate the right victory. And these two things go hand in hand. The victories that we celebrate are not first physical victories. Winning an argument, building a bigger church building, balancing a church budget, getting more people to come to church, or even or even getting more people to come to know Christ. All of those things are important. All of them are cause for celebrating and for joy. But they are not our first priority. They are not our final goal. And they are not where our joy comes from. Those successes that we see in ministry are not where our real joy comes from. Jesus says that our joy comes first and finally in God's salvation in our life. Our rejoicing comes first and finally in the work that God does in our life, not from the successes that we can point at and say, hey, look what I did. Do not rejoice that the demons submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Or if I could paraphrase it this way, do not rejoice that in the success that you have in your life, but in the fact that God in Christ has saved you. Your salvation is God's goal and purpose for your life. It is his work in your life that gives him the greatest joy and satisfaction, not your work for him. His work in your life, to bring about salvation in your life, is the thing that gives him greatest joy and satisfaction about you, not the work that you do for him. The work that God has done to save you through the work of Christ, the work that God is doing right now through the Spirit to transform your heart and mind into the character of Christ, that is what God gives, gives God the greatest joy in your life. Listen to what Jesus celebrates in chapter 10, verses 21 through 24. Jesus, full of joy, praises God. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I praise you because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Father, this was your good pleasure. Verse 24, he turns to his disciples and says, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. What does Jesus rejoice in? In these verses, he rejoices in the upside down and very strange work of God in the way that he reveals himself to people, the way that he reveals himself to the humble. Jesus says that God has revealed himself to children, that is, to the humble, 
to those who can't accomplish anything on their own, to those who cannot yet say, I am a success, but for those who are dependent and who know that they need God. Jesus says that God has revealed himself to this unlearned and small group of disciples rather than to prophets and to kings. Prophets and kings seem to me to represent two categories of people. Prophets would be people who are perceived by others to have great spiritual power, to be spiritual giants, to be people who are successful in the spiritual life. And kings represent people who have great physical power and wealth. Prophets and kings, those who are successful in ways that you and I can clearly see with our eyes. Prophets and kings, those who hold power and influence over other, over other people in one way or another. But Jesus, full of joy, gives praise to God because God hasn't revealed himself to prophets and kings, but to the weak, to these 72 uh, strange-looking group of people. But he's revealed himself to children. As they come back from this successful mission, Jesus diverts their attention away from their success. Because if their attention is on the success of their mission, it will be all too easy for them to believe that they're now in some different category of people. That now that they've been successful, that maybe now that they will enjoy the prestige that comes through worldly power and influence. That maybe now they will enjoy the pleasures of prophets and kings. Jesus turns their attention away from their success and turns their attention to God, who is the author of their salvation, the one who is at work in their life. You and I are very naturally enamored with worldly success. Billions of people in the next couple of weeks are going to be watching the Olympics. We're going to witness human beings accomplish incredibly, incredible things with their bodies. We're going to watch the fastest and strongest people on the planet. And it's going to be great. I love watching the Olympics. But this worldly success that all of our attention will be on is not God's priority. If Michael Phelps wins seven gold medals like he is expected to do once again, but does not give praise and glory to God in his life, then the Olympics will be for him an eternal failure. If Michael Phelps does not see that the Olympics for him in his life is just one more way that God wants to use to draw Michael Phelps closer to himself, then Michael Phelps will win a few races with other people, but he will eternally lose the war. He will celebrate a small victory that will give him pleasure and joy for a while, and miss out on eternal peace, victory, and rejoicing. When Jesus sees this motley crew of 72 disciples come back from this successful mission, he himself gets a renewed and deeper vision of the work of his Father in the world. I think that Jesus' joy in this passage comes from the fact that he himself learned something new about his heavenly Father. And this is why he enters into this prayer full of joy. 
When Jesus, what Jesus learns is that his heavenly Father is at work in places where we least expect it. That he is at work in children and lowly and humble people. That in and, these, in and through these people, God is doing a great work. While we are enamored with worldly success, while we praise those and pay our attention to those who are physically strong, those who are capable managers, those who are uh, capable CEOs of, of large corporations, we are enamored with them, but God is at work in people and in places where we would never expect it. And Jesus, when he sees this happening, is filled with joy because he learns something about his heavenly Father. He learns that this is the way that his heavenly Father works. And so no wonder he was filled with joy. He was a man who knew that his life was going to end on a cross, that his death was going to be a horrible and terrible thing. This deeper realization that God is at work in places where we least expect it, like in lowly and despised people, was a reason for him to have joy because he knew he was going to the cross, that he was going to be a lowly and despised person through whom his heavenly Father was going to bring salvation. Jesus saw God at work in the lives of his disciples, doing things through them, overthrowing the evil one through them in ways that no one could have expected. And this gave Jesus joy because it became for him a small picture of what his mission in the world was going to be like, that he himself would be lowly and despised and that God would bring salvation through him. Jesus was filled with joy because he came to a deeper realization of his own calling and mission that his father would do great things through him when he was placed on a cross, a place where no one thought that God could do a good work. This is why Jesus was filled with joy. As we think about this, as we think about how Jesus responds to the 72, as we think about what Jesus himself celebrates, we have to ask ourselves the question, as those who are people who are on God's mission, how do we define success, really? How do we define success? Think about the work that you do in your life, whether that be your occupation, your job, or other works of service that you do, perhaps the work that you do here formally at Ebenezer. How do you define success in all those areas of your life? In the next couple weeks, many of us, dozens of us, are going to be participating in VBS in Youth Week. How are we going to find success as individuals and as a church for what this week is all about? Will it be a success if we have 100 kids? Will it be a success if everything runs smoothly? If kids come to know Jesus? Of course, all of those things are important, and we can and we will celebrate the things that God does in that way. But it seems to me in this passage that Jesus would turn our attention towards something else. What does God want to do in you? when you do that work? How is God working out your salvation while you do that work? 
If you are a a trustee at our church, does that work bring you any closer to God as you do it? If you're an elder or a deacon or a staff member at our church, does your practice of leadership in our church lead you to be closer to God? Or are the results of our work your focus and what you rejoice in? God wants to do a work in your life, and he does it in those who are humble like children and who know they are dependent on him. And when we go about our work in this way, God says we are a success. Success in our work for God is when that work has caused us to grow closer to him. Success in our work for God is when our work causes us to rejoice in his salvation in our life and realize that he did a good work in and through us. Success in our work is when we become more dependent on him through that work. So as you participate in the mission of God, in whatever way God has called you to do it, your relationship with God must be your first priority and your final goal. In your work for God, your relationship with God must be your first priority and your final goal. Your relationship with God must be your first priority. In all the things that we are called to do in our lives, all these things that we have a privilege of doing are only possible if we are doing it because we are living in the presence of God. Our fellowship with God must be our priority. It's where it all begins and everything flows out of this relationship. And we take our cue here from Jesus. His first priority was his relationship with his heavenly Father. In his own life and ministry, we saw him often, regularly going away to retreat from his disciples, to retreat from the crowds, to get away to spend time in prayer. In his ministry, he would say things like, I only do what my Father commands, or I only do what I see my Heavenly Father doing. His ministry, his work was done out of a place of prayer, out of a place of relationship with his Heavenly Father. Our relationship with God is our first priority. It is where our work for God begins, and it's where it all flows out of. Our relationship with God also must be our final goal. The things that we accomplish for God cannot replace our relationship with God. And this is what Jesus is communicating to his disciples when they come back from their mission. The success that they had on their mission was one of the things that God was using in their own lives to bring them closer to him. The mission is a means to some other end. It is a means to bring them in closer relationship with him. The mission... The work that we do for God is one of the things that God uses in our lives to bring us closer to him. When we're doing work for God, it requires us to pray. Things get hard. Relationships are strained. Risks have to be taken. We have to seek him. As we go about our mission, God uses that mission, that work, to bring us closer to him. To use the example of VBS again, how many times have we heard people say that they feel closer to God during VBS week than at any other time in the year? Well, why is that? Certainly there's many reasons, but one of them, and I think the most important one, is because that work that we are doing together for God during that week leads us to think about God more, to pray to God more, 
to ask God to be with us, to help us accomplish whatever it is that he wants us to do. The mission, the work that we do for God, is one of the means that God uses to bring us to this end of fellowship with him. That is the end and goal of our life, to be in fellowship with God. And God uses our work for him to do that, to bring us into fellowship with him. But sometimes we do, it's very easy to get this turned around. We think that God is the means for us to accomplish some mission. We use prayer as a tool to get what we want to get the job done. We want to be successful. We want others to think well of us. So we use God in order to help us accomplish the mission. It's very easy to get the means and the end turned around. We must remember that our work for God is but one more thing in our life that God is using to draw us into fellowship with him. After seeing his 72 disciples return from a successful mission, Jesus himself learns something about his heavenly Father, and it brings him great joy. In the success of this mission, Jesus learns that his heavenly Father is always at work in those who are humble and dependent on him. So I ask you today, is that you? Does that describe you? Does your life and work for God reflect a humble dependency on him? Does your life and work for God lead you to rejoice in the salvation that he has for you in your life? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your upside-down way that you work. Lord, that you have chosen to use those who are lowly and humble, those who are like children. So God, I pray that you would make us like that. Lord, I pray that you would make us a people who are dependent on you, that we would reflect that dependency with lives of prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.